Hi, I'm Ian McAllister. And I'm Jamie Adams. And joining us this week, we have Owen Duffy. Owen has written for The Guardian, an Ars Technica among a plethora of others, and has recently edited and released The Board Game Book, Volume 1. Owen, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, guys. It's great to be on. Lovely to see you. How are you doing, Owen? I am doing not badly at all. Yourselves? We're doing very well. I've been spending the day dipping in and out of the excellent tome that I kickstarted. I think Jamie's got one of these as well. I um, also I'm have showing, a copy. I'm showing yep. you a book that listeners can't see, but yes, it's absolutely fantastic. So, Owen, can you tell just tell us a little bit about the book, what it's about, and what's in it? Yeah, sure. Well, it's a, it's basically kind of like a, a hardback annual for the hobby. So it's a mix of kind of games criticism by professional games journalists. So there's myself, there's uh, Matt Thrower, who people might know from places like uh, PC Gamer and Shut Up and Sit Down. There's uh, Terry Latorco, who's a really expert on kind of miniature wargaming and uh, writes for Geek and Sundry, among other places. Cool. And there's uh, Rick, Richard Jansen Parks, who is uh, a really uh, just amazing RPG writer yeah, follow and specialist. Yeah, his great. Yeah, and uh, you know we've uh, we've kind of combined that kind of games criticism and reviews with some really nice photography. We've got kind of uh, interviews with the designers of, of most of the games in the books, folks like Matt Leacock and Reiner Knizia and uh, Richard Garfield, who I was really pleased to get because I've been chasing him for about six years, and he finally gave in and gave me an interview, so that was fantastic. And it's really just it's intended to show kind of the best of the hobby from a, a kind of big range of games, everything from kind of simple kind of family party games to really kind of complex strategy nerd stuff. And we're, we're pretty pleased with it. We think it, you know, we, we think it's a, a really just lovely hardback, nice thing to hold, um, kind of interesting thing to read, and we're looking to do one every year and just make it sort of a, a bit of a tradition. Oh, you're going to take my money every year, Owen. It's just, just terrible. No, it's a, it's a really nice thing. I've really enjoyed reading it, and it, yeah, it is great to see you sort of highlighting some of the smaller games out there that haven't maybe got as much press as they deserve. Like, what well, a favorite of yours yeah. and mine, like Carton Pera Victoria and and games like that. Sure, yeah, yeah that, that didn't get anything like the uh, the recognition it deserved when yeah, it came I agree. out. And it's things like that. It's finding those hidden yeah. gems. It's kind of digging into the 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 big games that we all know, and it's also like with the. The designer interviews i've really enjoyed kind of getting that kind of designer's perspective finding about the influences behind games and the kind of personal stories it's almost like kind of uh, like vh1's old yeah. uh, behind the music but for geeks no it's great we like it how, how are sales going with the book how, how's it doing yeah sales have been great um obviously we had a, a successful kickstarter campaign for it last year it's been doing really well on uh, on amazon it's been uh, getting a good reception in game stores and it's in some of the the book chains as well so yeah, it's fantastic. We're actually already at the point where we're looking at a second printing, which is way ahead of where we expected to be. Fantastic. Amazing. That's, that's, that's good to hear. You already get making plans for Volume 2 as well? Oh yeah, we're working hard on it. We're already uh, deep in the, the process of just annoying our, our friends and game groups by insisting that they play hundreds of games. <laughs> well, I'm sure they're happy to do so. Well, thanks very much for joining this week at Owen, and let's get into the news. Uh, this is Brainwaves, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of 8th July 2019. Kickstarter is honestly going to enforce its clear new policy. Watch the skies from the comfort of your own home. And a barrage of negative reviews hit BoardGameGeek. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. So we're back with Kickstarter once more, and they have just recently updated their guidelines as to how creators are meant to talk about their projects, and they're calling this their honest and clear presentation in projects. 
they're only calling them recommendations. They are kind of indicating that a failure to adhere to their new policies might result in a variety of actions, including project suspension. But there's no clear policy at the moment exactly what Kickstarter is going to do in response to anybody breaking these guidelines. And of special interest to the board gaming community is that they have put in a stipulation that creators should not use photorealistic renderings anywhere within your project. Now, we've covered big miniature game Kickstarters before in the past, ones failing or promising more than they can deliver. And one of the things that's common to a lot of those projects is that they uh, display renders rather than actual miniatures, which can get them into a lot of shtuck when the actual pro product comes through and it doesn't look exactly like it should. Another couple of things that are worth noting in these new uh, guidelines are they do uh, that they have a stipulation that you do not show your product packaging if it hasn't been produced yet which could be a tricky one for a lot of Kickstarters where they're basically showing art virtually wrapped around a box, essentially, for the packaging. And that you're not meant to set a funding goal that won't allow you to bring your project to completion. One of the things that's common to a lot of board game Kickstarters is they have a small funding target to show that they've funded, and then they use that momentum to then gain, gain a lot of money. I mean, what do you think, guys? Do you think Kickstarter is actually going to enforce these rules, such as they are, or are they just going to ignore them? What's going to happen? I think to some extent it's going to depend on just how ready some of the publishers are to adhere to those rules. I mean, if you look at uh, some of the big kind of boxes of plastic and cardboard that are raking in, you know, a million dollars or more in a campaign, they're making a lot mm. of money for Kickstarter. And uh, I really, I can't see them being too willing to, to kick those projects off the site. No, indeed. I mean, and they've shown willingness to sort of break their own rules before I got in touch with them for comment about the claustrophobia Kickstarter that was up uh, not too long ago, where basically the company behind that, whose name temporarily escapes me, had essentially already made the product and were like they, they literally printed the games already and were just using Kickstarter as a, an absolute pre-order and sales store, which Kickstarter are not meant to allow. But when I sort of pushed them for that question, they never got back to me. So yeah, I, whether they'll actually enforce any of this kind of remains to be seen, unfortunately. I, I hope they do. Like I, Some of it would be quite good for the smaller companies if they're, they're brought more in line with these with these rules, like bigger companies are brought down down a little bit to actually adhere to some kind of, I don't know, moral structure for Kickstarter. But yeah, whether they'll actually enforce it, we, is, it remains to be seen. The point about the packaging confuses me slightly. I mean, um, yeah, you know, when we when we ran the Kickstarter for the board game book, we used a, a generated image showing a, a cover. Of because course, we didn't yeah. have the we didn't have the cover design for the book. We didn't know at that point exactly what the lineup of games was going to be in it. So you know, we needed to put to put something up there, and we put something that I think was kind of fairly representative, didn't kind of mislead anyone. So just the fact that something is a, a render rather than a, a kind of actual final photograph, I don't think is necessarily an awful thing. No, I mean, I've heard a rumor that this is aimed more at tech Kickstarters than ah, right. the sort of Kickstarter platform in general, which is understandable because they have had problems in the past with tech Kickstarters going a bit awry. So it might be it, it might be a series of guidelines to basically bring those under control a little bit more. Now, I may have mentioned in the past couple of episodes that I have been a fan of Watch the Skies, the mega game about aliens coming to Earth and... Are they peaceful? Are they not? Who knows? You're the heads of countries. You've got to find out. And I believe one of the main issues hampering the mega game industry, for want of a better word, is that demand is outstripping supply. But all of that is about to change. We've recently seen uh, a Vampire the Masquerade game style itself as a mega game in a box. And now we have from Stone Paper Scissors, 
board game company, we have Watch the Skies in a Box. The complete physical version of all the game components and materials you need to run Watch the Skies for between 20 and 40 players. It does cost 170 of your finest English pounds. <laughs> it's a very big and box. And it is a large box, but it contains a great deal of cardboard and paper. That kind of makes me uh, just wonder slightly just what the, you know, what is the potential market for this product? Because, you know, I think a lot of people who are into mega games quite like the idea of maybe um, going to some sort of communal event and it being a bit of a, a kind of destination and a, a, a kind of thing that they kind of plan and go to almost like a, a day trip. Whether there are enough people who can fit 20 people in their house to play the game, I think is open to question, but certainly it's a, a really interesting concept. I've never actually played a mega game. I would love to. I think the, the idea is uh, is fantastic. Jamie had a great time down at the one at Games Expo. We were in the process of writing up diaries and getting in touch with the folks who ran the, that mega game on for a special to have a chat about mega games and how they got into it and, and what the future is for it, that kind of thing. I'm hooked, man. I'm hooked. My, yeah. my tenure as the <laughs> Japanese Prime Minister was nothing if not rocky. Well, we know what to get you for Christmas. Yes. Then, um, no, I think I think my main issue, uh, not issue, but my main worry with uh, the game is, I think the game, yep, it's, as you said, I'm trying to get 20 people minimum to, to come around to a house or a community centre. Right, that's fine with your friends. It's also, the game relies a lot on the control players, the, the GMs, as it were. Yeah. And... I'm sure, you know, I am absolutely sure they've got, you know, comprehensive notes and, you know, you can get some fantastic people running it, but it's going to come down to the strength and creativity of the of the control players, whether they can keep people engaged, whether they can keep that, that energy up. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they've managed to turn the experience they run into an actual, an actual product that other people can run. But yeah, that is available now if you've got £170 yes. spare, 40 people, and a very, very large room. Uh, and it's free delivery in the UK. <laughs> well, you know, thank goodness for small mercies. Uh, we came across this little story recently. The Barrage board game, which has been designed by Tommaso Battista and S Simone Luciana, I'm sorry if I butchered those names, uh, with art from Antonio De Luca, is getting a bit of a review bombing on BGG. Now, this is not the first time this kind of thing has happened. We saw it with Cthulhu, Death May Die, and Hate as well from Cool Money or Not. Uh, it's published by this one is published by Cranio Creations, and it ha recently has received a flood of uh, one out of ten ratings on BGG. Used to have a rating of about eight out of ten, and now is close to six out of ten. Uh, and w what people seem to be complaining about is there's been a lack of communication over the course of this campaign. Uh, changes have been made during the Kickstarter to the final product that people weren't expecting or weren't communicated properly. But what it has led to is some people suggesting that ratings on the game should be suspended until that game is delivered. I mean, I, th I personally think that's a bit of a slippery slope because do you stop people rating games they don't own because that's just rife throughout BGG, people reviewing things weirdly. Is, is there? Do you think there's any way to control that kind of thing on, on, on Board Game Geek folks? Like to, if only, people can only rate games in their collection, but even that's gameable really? Yeah, that's pretty easy to, to circumvent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think part of the, part of the issue here is that you know I have a tremendous amount of respect for Board Game Geek as a big database and a source of information. Um, you know, I use yeah. it pretty much daily as a, a kind of uh, objective measure of the value of games. I think it's probably <laughs> not quite as useful. Yeah, I, I would be in agreement there. Yes, I mean, really, the other thing is the, the kind of scale, uh, the the rating scale on Board Game Geek tends to cluster. Really, I mean, anything less than mm. about seven out of ten 
may, might as well not exist on the site, really. Yeah, it does kind of drop off the ratings quite yeah. quickly, doesn't it? And then, uh, you know, 78 is probably pretty good. Anything above 8 is probably really good. Um, so really, they only need three points on that scale, don't they? If they just did it yeah. a seven, 7 to 9 scale, that would be fine. <laughs> Should suggest it. But yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. You see things on BGG where people will rate games that they haven't played yet and they'll leave comments saying things like looks really good um, yeah uh, yeah that, that's the one that annoys me the most the, the the ratings based on just the aesthetics of possibly a render yeah and it's like uh okay sure great we're going to bring you a little update now on some recent political events that have had repercussions throughout the board game community you may be aware that several months ago uh there was a breakdown in talks between the United States and China with President Donald Trump uh, Im- threatening to impose tariffs on consumer products imported from from China in, into the United States. Now, considering a lot of board games components and board games themselves are manufactured in China, this obviously had massive impact for the board game community. Well, recently, President Trump was at the G20 conference in Osaka, Japan, and spoke with President of China Xi Jinping in an 80-minute conversation. They wanted to start the talks again, so Trump announced he's offering concessions to to Beijing and uh, and China, basically easing restrictions on Huawei and holding off on imposing the tariffs, and the Chinese have uh, capitulated on several other situations. But for now, it looks as if the tariffs are going to either not come into play or are going to come into play much, much later. So it's not a breathe easy. It's not a breathe easy. It is a, you can let out a little bit of that held breath. Your Kickstarter that is being shipped will get here. Don't worry. On to more news now. Cyberpunk 2077 is coming to uh, PCs and gaming consoles next year and a prequel is being released which is going to be a tabletop RPG. Now this is coming from Artalsorian Games who were the original makers of the original Cyberpunk RPG. It's going to be launching in August 1st at Gen Con. It's going to be about 25 quid. Full scenario aimed at new players so it's sort of like an introductory set much like D&D had for 5th edition when it came uh, when it came back into the public conscious few pre-gens maps dice book with background about the world in there uh, and yeah it's just really interesting to see a computer game get a tabletop release that will maybe see bring bring people into the tabletop world from the computer game it, it's good to see them doing that kind of thing what do you think folks yeah it's interesting um i mean obviously there are a lot of computer games that have really kind of compelling worlds that people want to play in i mean i would love to see something like a, a tabletop legends of zelda rpg or a, a final fantasy oh RPG. yes yes please you know I, I would totally be up for that yeah but yeah i i don't know much about cyberpunk 2077 i'm not a big computer game player i have to say but i, I do think it's interesting that there's um you know if you look at even things like a kind of fantasy flights adaptations of fallout or civilization there's obviously this crossover and it's interesting to see how computer game mechanisms influence tabletop games and vice versa what they try to recreate and what they completely repurpose for the different medium yeah we're definitely seeing more and more of that crossover again i mean the when i was playing ccgs back in the 90s there was a lot of tie-ins to sort of computer games and movies and that kind of thing a lot of which were absolutely terrible but this time around like some of them seem to be a bit better it seems to be a bit more consideration to the actual games themselves and certainly like like things like fallout like that and that kind of thing that you mentioned and have been doing very well so yeah maybe we'll see more of this in the future sort of a, a crossover between the 
gaming genres. I think we definitely will, because we had the recent announcement of Baldur's Gate 3. Now, of course, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were based off uh, the first edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. And then with the announcement of Baldur's Gate 3, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons announced that there was a new supplement coming out directly tied into the game. Oh, cool. Yeah, and Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah, Cyberpunk 2077 obviously is an update of the role-playing game Cyberpunk 2020. So we've gone from role-playing game to video game and back to role-playing game. Yeah, it's uh, it's also worth noticing, noting that the compu- the computer game has recently come under fire for being insensitive to transgender representation in the game. Uh, whether that uh, there's been a lot of fury around uh, posters put put up in the game, I think it was was it Owen? Did you- this is something that I only saw briefly. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the things that really struck me is that the the cyberpunk genre, not just in gaming but in fiction. Um, really has uh, quite a few tie-ins with kind of uh, of trans culture and identity. Yeah. If you look at um, folks like the Wachowski siblings who you know mm. made the the Matrix films, and if you look at kind of several particularly authors working in the field, you know they explore themes of gender and identity and bodily autonomy. So to see the the sort of trappings of cyberpunk being used in a way that doesn't really recognise or respect that is just a little bit kind of jarring. And staying with board games and role-playing games moving into other media, there is a, a new announcement regarding a, a teaming up between Asmodee Entertainment and TV company Propagate, owned by Ben Silverman and Howard Owen. Their announcement is to develop a TV adventure competition series based on, I know what you're all thinking and I'm going to say it, Ticket to Ride, the world-famous train laying game by alan r moon i mean it has i mean the game has the game has sold over six million copies um since its release more than 40 countries in the world have played it and almost that many now have ticket to ride boards for them the tv show itself um we've only got a few details but it's going to be a travel as i said a travel competition series five teams uh will try and complete challenges and rack up the most miles as they travel by air land and sea challenge annika via Island. i was just gonna say that that is that, <laughs> will, that will date us all terribly but um, <laughs> yeah, i mean i've seen people talking about it comparing it to the concept for the amazing race which is a an american yes. kind of pseudo reality competition show which was terrible i mean i would love to see something a little bit more authentic you know i would love to see people you know given a small budget or indeed kind of a, a deck of multicolored cards and uh, <laughs> kind of challenge to get as far as they can to towards different destinations and kind of and, w- uh, and when they try to get to the next train someone's got there first and got yeah, on the train like, oh, because obviously no. obviously only one train can ever go into a station yes yeah. Like, yeah unless it's a double line but then if you're then only if you're playing with four or more players so it's like yeah it's five teams it's five <laughs> teams so that there are some double lines they can use and of course when they go to europe that's going to be very different because they're going to have to go through mountain passes and some of them might die yeah we might be reading too much into this also i have no idea of the name of the series that you two mentioned which dates me quite badly as well <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm the oldest member of the brainwaves team and it, it shows sometimes but uh, keep your eyes peeled for ticket to ride the television show coming very soon a little bit of news that just popped up just before we came on 
podcast that D&D is going to be getting an audio format. The Library of Congress in the States, its National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, puts out free braille and talking book library services for people with temporary or permanent low vision, blindness, or a physical disability that prevents them from reading or holding the printed page. And they are going to be taking the D&D core books and doing that for them. And they've already put out the player's handbook now, which is now, now available in a fully navigable audio format. I think this is only available inside the United States at the moment. It's not available to people outside the States, but hopefully we'll be able to get access to it soon. And they're also going to be doing the Dungeon Master Guide and the Monster Mine to follow. Fantastic thing to see, a really inclusive thing to see uh, role-playing games going into. And hopefully we'll see more of that from um, role-playing publishers down the line and some kind of hookups with the National Library Service to make more of that happen. Yes, it's Great superb. Stuff. Yeah, anything that makes uh, that makes gaming more accessible to people, despite yeah. any kind of physical physical impairment, is uh, is fantastic. I mean, I know some folks who are uh, blind or partially sighted have found it really useful to use Siri or Google. Yeah, what's Google's voice assistant even called? It's just called Google, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Google but, assistant. Um, you know, yeah. if you say if you tell Siri or Google to roll a d twenty or roll two d six, they'll you know it makes a, a cute little uh, dice rolling noise and then it will announce your result. Oh, amazing! I've got a Google assistant downstairs. I'll have to try yeah, that later. Oh, try it. Yeah. Fan- yeah, fantastic. I do kind of wonder how they'll deal with some of the big tables of numbers. I don't know if that really kind of lends itself to being represented well in audio. Yeah, just really pleased that uh, that this is something that's being done. Well, I've been out in the Brainwaves garden again, the archaeological garden, doing some digging about for some new stories of an archaeological and board gaming bent. And I have unearthed uh, a wee gem here. Just a, a wee gem. Now, we have Hadrian's Wall in the north of England that was meant to separate Roman Britain from Caledonia and us terrible Scots. Well... Coming back soon. <laughs> there, there, there has been a massive dig at Vindolanda, one of the uh, near Hexham, which is one of the forts along Hadrian's Wall. There's been a dig of 400 volunteers, and they have unearthed, as I said, a couple of gems, including 1,800-year-old gems, uh, and a, a size 11 shoe belonging to a Roman soldier, and what does it have to do with board gaming, Jamie? Nothing apart from the other find that was discovered, which was uh, an old cracked board game board. It was found in the bathhouse, uh, well, the bathhouse would be, and the game was called Little Soldiers, or, and here's a proof I did not do any Latin, Ludus Latruncolorum. Yeah, Uh, and apparently the game looked, uh, maybe played slightly similar to Drafts. And it's apparently it's it's apparently it's not uncommon to find uh, gaming pieces and gaming boards in military installations, and getting an insight into the daily life of of soldiers in you know almost two thousand years ago. Just because to show board games have been around forever, and oh yeah, they'll probably be around oh, yeah. well well into humanity's future. I heard twenty minutes after that discovery, someone had rated it a one on board game geek and called it a soulless abstract. <laughs> <laughs> He's here all week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> there, was, there was the old story, uh, not the old story, but there was uh, from several months ago that Romans didn't bother to weight their dice because they believed their dice throws were in the hands of the gods. So it didn't matter what the weighting was, the gods would decide the numbers for them. I think it's someone who cheated at dice just made that up as an excuse at some point. It's got amazing. It doesn't matter, the gods are in control, honest. Had Please amazing PR. Great. Uh, 
uh, as the hobby grows, we're seeing a rise in a number of people sort of coming out to critique games in the industry at large. People, people like myself uh, and Owen and, and others, uh, Shopton's Down, various others through, throughout the industry. And as more people get involved in the journalistic side of the hobby, what rules should govern that conduct? We don't we don't really have a sort of journalistic code of conduct for for the board game hobby. And how can consumers know who to trust to deliver an honest opinion? What's your sort of thoughts on this, Owen, coming from an actual professional journalistic background? Yeah, well, just uh, just dump the big topic on me. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's obviously something that's being discussed quite a lot in the hobby at the moment. Um, and I think I, you know, I come from a, a background where I've been writing for um, actual publications like The Guardian, Ars Technica and places who are kind of paying me yeah. to do a job and who have their editorial standards which are usually written and are uh, usually accessible to the audience so when uh, when kind of folks read or, or or view or consume stuff from those outlets they kind of are, can be reasonably confident that people will try to kind of abide by those standards and if they don't then there's usually recourse you can write to an editor or there's uh, you know the guardian has its, uh, its readers ombudsman yeah it's much more of a kind of wild west situation with things like blogs and YouTube channels, and again, that's something that doesn't just affect gaming. If you look at things like a kind of influencers on YouTube trying to sell kind of makeup or health products or you know clothing or anything like that, there's this blurred line between kind of journalism and public relations, which I kind of find quite distasteful and quite worrying. Particularly some of the non-gaming stuff when it targets some quite young audiences. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, I think it's it's good that there's an awareness of this and there's a discussion of this. I don't get the impression that it's as big a problem with games, or certainly not with tabletop games, as it is with some other industries. And if you want to be cynical, you could say that's just because, you know, board game companies don't necessarily have the, the budget of, you know, some of the, the people who are paying, you know, $20,000 for some kind of YouTube kid to show off eyeshadow. But, I mean, I think the the kind of bigger issue possibly is that there can be quite a close relationship between people in uh, kind of game companies, game publishers, and individual people who are making kind of material covering the hobby. Yeah, that's something you've got to manage. I mean, I, I am on quite friendly terms with people, designers, with publishers, and there's an understanding there that if they provide, say, a, a review copy of a game, that, you know, there's no obligation that I will cover that game or that I will, uh, you know, give it a positive review. If you're someone that's newer to kind of making this kind of, uh, of content, you might not be as kind of confident in your standing there. And, you know, even without there being the need for any kind of outright skullduggery or bribery or anything, I think there might be a, a kind of tendency in some cases for people to want to just stay on the, the friendly side of the, the people they're dealing with. I think that that's, um, you know, something for, for people to consider, even if it's not, you know, yeah. intentional malpractice. It's still something that can kind of influence some of uh, the the content that's being put out there. I certainly experienced that, at, like sort of the early days of of turning turning the giant brain into a more journalistic site. As I was sort of picking up review copies, and I had a couple of run-ins with some publishers over me basically saying your game's not very good, and that 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 did take a hit to my sort of confidence in writing, and I I sort of backed off a little bit from a more critical tone. But as I've sort of grown in confidence with the writing, I have come back to basically saying, like, well, now the, the Giant Brain site has, if you send us a, a copy of a game to review, there's no promise that we'll like this effectively. And basically put that up front and say, this, this is how we review games. If you don't like that, that's fine. But 
this is how this is how we go about it and I, th- I think most sites could probably do with that we, we try and be as open and honest as possible about where we get copies as well even when it's just like i've bought a copy of this to review i try and put that at the top of each each page uh, also i saw recently that uh, michael heron from meeples like us had put out a sort of the start of a, a sort of an attempt a sort of a journalistic guidelines mm. for sort of board game reviews have you had a chance to read that at all yeah well i had a, i had a brief look at it and it um you know it's it's almost a kind of legalistic looking kind of document because yeah. it goes into a lot of detail about kind of precisely yeah. what the the policies are there on on kind of different specific issues and i think it might not be kind of scintillating reading for the audience but the fact that it's there and it's something that they can point to and they can explain well this is the reason why we took this decision is, is certainly valuable yeah what do you think, Jamie? <laughs> I'm a very simple man with very simple beliefs. If you get paid for a promotion, disclose it. As you said, you know, the idea of a publisher sends in a review copy to the site and says, you know, we have no... Uh, what am I trying to say? Don't expect us to give it glowing terms just because you send us a review copy because that way it's a slippery slope and the only people who will be sending review copies yeah. to are people who are going to be saying nice things about the game and then you don't have a review in uh, industry anymore you've just got promotion you've got promotion basically uh, yeah and it's yeah i mean certainly computer games have had a massive problem with this over the over the years there's been various cases where basically companies that are running adverts for a game have then sort of like curtailed the some more negative aspects of reviews and i don't think anything like that is happening in the board game world but it is good that that conversation is being had and that people are vigilant i guess and looking out for that kind of thing happening I think the one thing that I find slightly confusing is the um, sort of distinction that people make between um, kind of paid previews of games and, you know, uh, uh, independent reviews. Because usually if you watch one of these previews, there will be some element of uh, kind of uh, personal opinion thrown in there, even if it's very slight. And the other thing is just I wouldn't be comfortable if I were making stuff on behalf of a, a games company or, you know, whether it's a publisher, whether it's a PR company, to then cover their games i think there needs to be a kind of ironclad line between advertising and editorial and i mean it's something yeah. that every media outlet with, you know, with the exception of the bbc i guess which is uh you know funded through the the license fee has to sort of confront and just address how they ensure that there is that protection for editorial content when they are dealing with you know with advertisers hmm it's if you look at some news sites in the states for example i mean uh, it's more and more common for there to be sort of advertorial content there where mm, yeah. you have you know stuff that is written written by a news organization but is clearly marked as you know this is advertising yeah I think yes. just you know any maybe i'm just old-fashioned maybe i just have ridiculously high standards but anytime i see those lines starting to get blurred i just start getting a little bit you know a little bit uncomfortable it uh, it just doesn't sit right with me no it makes me uncomfortable too and I'm glad that the conversation is being had and that people outside of the sort of like creators like myself are talking about it and are being vigilant and are mentioning it. I don't think there's like huge corruption or anything like that going on right no. now, but no. it's it's good that we're sort of starting to talk about having sort of journalistic standards and that people like people, people like us are putting out guidelines and ideas of like how we might go about doing that. And it's just a, um, all of us need to be vigilant and stay on top of each other and make sure we're sort of actually adhering to the to any guidelines that come about
Well, we're almost done for another episode of Brainwaves, but we couldn't leave you without returning to that faithful corner of Monopoly. And of course, there is more Monopoly news because there is always Monopoly news. Always. Always. Now, it's embracing the 21st century and releasing Monopoly voice banking. In the center of the board, there is an intelligent voice-activated top hat that will deal with all the financial doings of in the game. And importantly, unlike certain other intelligent voice-activated machines that I won't name, it doesn't need an internet connection. It's entirely self-sufficient. However, the game will not recognize individual voices on its own. There is uh, four buttons on the top of the hat. You press it. I assume you're allocated a color. And then you can make verbal requests, such as build a hotel or buy insert property here and yet the the game itself is packaged with no cash at all so taking away one of the only nice visceral things about monopoly they've taken job guys they, they've taken away the tactile sensation of, of of counting your monopoly money and watching as um, your brother just slowly pales as he edges towards your hotel area yeah that's yeah. that's a hell of an achievement because it's done something i assumed was impossible and made me less likely to play monopoly <laughs> um, now wow. now owen owen would you play this one or would you play the monopoly cheaters edition where it's okay to cheat but if you get caught is there, that not there, there, every version of monopoly there is a pair of handcuffs attached to the board and you have to have one of your hands handcuffed to the board if you're caught well you know oh, everyone is entitled okay. to their own kink but uh, monopoly yeah is i was gonna say <laughs> next week monopoly snm edition Ooh. Well, just before we round up today, we'd just like to give a wee little bit of a shout out to our patrons, especially the exec- our executive producers, the Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe. Monopoly news for you guys, as always. And if you'd like to join our patrons, then you can get access to an extended version of this cast for just $1 a month. And also our Idle Thoughts podcast, which is a discussion between myself, Jamie, and one of our guests about the games we have played recently and you get that at the two dollar month level it really helps us keep the lights on and uh, fund the website and podcast and if you'd like to throw us a dollar to a month we'd really appreciate that spoiler very much spoiler in my most recent idle thoughts i'm talking about monopoly yeah it's just hours of jamie talking about monopoly you can not, have that for two dollars a month. It's not the kind you think though indeed uh so oh, and just before we wrap up the show where can people buy the book find you on the internet etc yeah well if uh, you go to any game store or bookshop in the uk they will be able to uh, order it for you if they don't already have it in you can get it on amazon if you want to help jeff bezos pay his uh, alimony <laughs> <laughs> you can get it from a bunch of really good retailers uh, heifer's bookshop has it uh, games lore has it games quest has it zatu games has it it's, it's, it's not hard to find board game book volume one and of course you can buy it at boardgame-book.com Excellent, we'll put links to all that in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and a rating on iTunes. Now, you can also follow us on Twitter at, at the Giant Brain, on Instagram, Giant Brain UK, on Facebook, The Giant Brain, our website, giantbrain.co.uk, or drop us an email at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Owen, for coming on the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you very much. much. Look after yourselves, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.